So it, it, I didn't mean for it to work out this way, but I'm glad it did. Normally you will go through, you'll, you'll watch the video at home and then you, you know, you'll come, but I wasn't going to pay all that money for everybody to have a video to take home with them. <laughs> so it's good. We'll have, have the second half, and in a little bit we'll watch the, the next uh, session, and then we'll come back next week. Well, we won't come back next week. Let's remember that next week is the 12th. We are going to be back here eating food, so don't forget about that. But um, anyway, we get, to, we get to go over what we went over last week, and we have, let's remember, because we are recording, let's use this microphone, all right? Um, let's make sure if, if somebody's got something to say. Oh, you just hold on to it for now. If you got something to say, just raise your hand and we'll give you the microphone so that as it's recording, people can hear that because Nina, that's the part, Nina's not working, we're just working at night too. So we have a number of people that are wanting to, you know, keep up with us as we go through this. And I know, I went back and re-listened to it, not because I'm great, just because I want to learn. <laughs> I wasn't the only one teaching last week. Somebody have your Bible, maybe it's on your phone, could you turn to Romans 1? 18 through 23, and then read it for us. Romans 1, 18 through 23. Just holler, and Chloe will give you the microphone. You can read that for us. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godless, godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invis invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. All right, so here's the question. Keep that, keep that open so you can look at it. Here's the question. In there, in Romans 1, 18 through 23, why do some people reject the truth? Why do some people reject Christianity? Use the microphone if you want to give an answer. Why do some people reject truth and Christianity? And it's all right there. It, it's all laid out right there for us. You know, I, I think a lot of times we reject, uh, you know, we reject truth because the truth sometimes can hurt, and I believe that, you know, it, we we sometimes want to hear our understand our truths, but the truth is is God's truth. So. Yes, and so here's a few things that's listed there: the sinful desires of their hearts. That's one of the reasons we reject truth. That's why when you get into discussion with somebody and you feel like you're going in a circle, that's why I use that roadrunner tactic we talked about last week to stop them, right? You know, they, they, don't, they don't want to grab truth. So desires of our heart, uh, like you said, they want to suppress the truth of their wickedness, right? 
A murderer doesn't think that there's anything wrong. They don't think they're wicked. A person who commits adultery uh, after they've Maybe not the first time, but eventually they start going, hey, you know what? My wife or my husband drove me to this. It's not me. So they want to suppress the truth about that wickedness. Um, <coughs> it also says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So there is no God, right? The truth that there is a God, the truth that there is no God. And, and, and you know, we know it says there that creation proves that there is a God when you look at creation. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator and that's what we're doing today you know i was listening to a minister this week i thought this was so awesome what he said he said uh, when it comes to talking about pornography he said one of the reasons why you cannot view pornography of course we know pornography is a sin lusting after a, a you know somebody as a, a another person is a sin whether it's a woman or it's a man whatever doesn't matter but he says what does pornography do to you why does it get you far away from god because you are worshiping and filling your mind with something, an idol, replacing that, and now God doesn't have, you don't have time for God. You don't have even have feelings for God because all your feelings and your emotions are for something else, something that's, that, is, that is unnatural. You know, it should be unnatural for us to, to uh, view those kind of things. Not that it's not a temptation, but it should be unnatural, ungodly for us to do those things that takes us away from God. They also, it says in there, that they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You know, we have a lot of churches, and the Bible talks about this, we have a lot of churches today, a lot of people, a lot of so-called Christians who say they're Christians, but they deny the power of God in their life. And it's not just deny the power of God for healing or deny the power of God for uh, you know, for miracles, it's denying the power of God to change their life completely and totally. And so that's, that's another reason why they do that, you know, because, oh, God can't change me, you know, and so therefore I have to live this way. And so when, when I go to heaven, that's when things will change. No, you, you, you change down here, your life changes down here. Then you get to go to heaven. So we talked about the law of non-contradiction in if you remember what the law of non-contradiction is, right? You know, if you you have one thing and you cannot contradict the other, right? If it's true, it's true. For, if it's true, it's true for everybody at all places, all times, you know, for everybody. All right? So that's the law of non-contradiction. Um, would you say to someone who says that they don't believe in the law of non-contradiction, what would you say to somebody like that? What would you say? You'd say, yeah, you do. You believe it because right now you're using it. You're using the law of non-contradiction because what you're saying can be contradicted. Because you're, you know, what you're saying can be contradicted because I believe it and you believe it or you don't believe it. Well, what are we doing? There's a contradiction. Somewhere in there, there's truth because both of them can't be right. Or, you know, or maybe there's four things. Something in there's got to be right, and the rest has got to be wrong. You know, there is a God, there is no God. One of them is correct, one of them is wrong. That's the law of non-contradiction. If you remember that the, the Muslim philosopher, Avicenna, Sina, what he said, he said that he should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same as to be beaten, and to be burned is not the same as to be burned. And, of course, as Christians, we don't, we don't beat people. But the moral of that quote is... It's self-defeating to deny the law of non-contradiction. And so 
I think a question that may come up with people, I know especially Christians who maybe have been in church a long time, why do I need to know about this? Because you're, when you lay the groundwork and you put wisdom along with the Scripture, right? Wisdom along with the Scripture. We can, we can prove God in so many things through the wisdom that He has given us. Uh, we, we think about, uh, you know, like I said earlier, creation. The more we look at creation, the more we see that there had to be a creator. It's impossible you know, like we talk about the, the giraffes, you know, how a giraffe, they say, well, it, if you go with the, the theory of evolution, the giraffe dies and eventually it, it, it lives, right? Well, the giraffe has a, a part in its neck, so air, when it bends its neck over, the blood won't rush and, and, and blow its brain out. Well, how could, you know, evolution couldn't be, even be true there because if it leans over and it kills itself, how does it know to come back and create something for that not to happen again? You know, those kind of things, it's funny, there's, a, there's some videos, that are older videos, but they go through all these animals that could not have evolved. They had to be that way from the start. Really interesting things there. So the roadrunner tactic, the roadrunner tactic was to turn, turn it up on its end, right? Or to go around, they say, there is no God, and you say, no, there is a God, and here's, here's why. You, you, uh, you come back, you say, I can't speak a word of English. No, you just spoke a word of English, right? You just spoke word. You know, what did he say? He, one of the ones he said, uh, you know, my parent have no living children. My parents have no living children. Well, that's not true. You're, a living, you're their living child. Um, so finding that area, and, you, you know, it. Sometimes it can be very daunting, especially with atheists who know a lot. All right, now notice I said I know a lot. Don't they don't know everything, and they're not really knowledgeable. They just know a lot about something, about what they believe. And if you listen for things that you go, but that's not possible. You know, you want to believe that. That's great that you want to believe it, but there's but it's not true, and it can't be true. And the, and as as we were saying last week, you know what we have going on today where. Uh, a person says, no, I'm, a, I, I'm not a man, I'm a woman. No, that's it's impossible. Chromosomes say that you are, you know, what, what you were born with. There was a man this week who got denied in another country, but he wanted to change his age. He wanted to say he was 20 years younger than he really is. He was a businessman. I think it was Denmark or something. Uh, if he was in the United States, they probably would have allowed him. <laughs> But uh, over there, anyway, they come out and they say, no, you can't, you can't change your age. You can't say that you're 20 years younger than you are. But it's the same thing, right? If we, allow, if we allow this untruth over here, then all untruth can be truth because truth then becomes relative. It becomes whatever we want it to be. And then, there, then what does that mean? Then there is no truth. Because if everything is true, then there is no truth. And, uh, you know, I, I know when we have engineers over here, you know, there's certain things that got to be done a certain way. And if I came in and told you, no, you can do it this way, you go, no. I said, no, I say you can do it that way. You go, no, it's impossible. That's not true. So the roadrunner tactic is to turn, turn on end, flip it over on them. And when you do that, it will stop them. And that's what you want to do. You want, you want to have them be Wally Coyote running off the cliff and then you're stopping at the edge of the cliff, and then they fall in a heap. You know, their, their thoughts and their logic just crash to the ground. Because when you do that, 
Now you're starting to open up and say, let me tell you about this. Because remember what we talked about last week, faith? I asked you this question before we started. He answered it while we were in there. Um, is the answer, why do you believe in God? Is faith a good answer? No, because anybody can believe. I can believe in Buddha. I can believe in Muhammad. So the answer to that faith is the answer is not a good answer. You need to, you need to have a better answer than that. And there's too much in the Bible that have, has already been proven through archaeological digs and different things that we can easily say that the Bible is accurate. It has not been proven inaccurate yet. And just because somebody says that Jesus didn't die on the cross or just says that he was a good, only a good man doesn't make it that way. They can say that, but we haven't found, uh, so far, the Bible, cannot, uh, uh, the Bible cannot be shut down. The Bible cannot be shut down. Um, remember, one of the things, th these, these right here are some of the things that you'll hear a lot of an atheist, and especially maybe an ag agnostic too. Uh, you know, agnostics believe that um, if there is a God, he doesn't have anything to do with our lives anyway. But I don't know that I really believe that there's a God, right? So um, some of the things that we need to focus on or think about when you're going to have a discussion with, with people all truth comes from science. Everybody wants to say, hey, science, 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 science. You know, you've got Bill Nye, the science guy who's got a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and somehow or another he got popular, and everybody wants to know what he thinks about global warming or climate change, as, they, as they're calling it now. But when remember when he says all, well, tr science proves it or all truth comes from science, you say, well, is that a scientific truth? Which, of course, it's not. You can't prove what they just said. In a laboratory, you can't prove it any other way. Uh, how about you should be open-minded? How many churches now are saying, well, let's just be open-minded about it? And it, Lauren Daigle, you know, the popular, popular singer, was just asked the other day, after she'd been on the Ellen DeGeneres show, have no problem with that. Hey, let the word of God go forth. Preach it. She was on another radio show, and they asked her, is homosexuality a sin? And what was her answer? Her answer was, I have no idea. I've got a bunch of people that I love who are homosexuals. Um, just read the Bible for yourself and you figure it out and you let me know if you ever figure it out. Well, we know what the Bible says about it. It's pretty clear in Romans chapter 1. It's, it's pretty clear in Deuteronomy. Moses said that uh, it is an abomination. But we have to be open-minded. Well, what if we're wrong? No, the truth is the Scriptures are not wrong. It's not if what if we're wrong. It's is the Scriptures wrong and the Scripture says a certain thing. We have to go with that. And, you know, and just to say, an easy way for her to have answered that was any sin or any, any, uh, uh, anything sexual outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is sin anyway. I mean, if you don't want to deal specifically with that, did you have something to say? Yeah. The battery's dead? Yeah. Chloe, run back and grab some batteries real quick. While, while she's doing that, I'll hit on a couple of other things. Keep that thought on your mind. Uh, doubt in everything, right? We can, be, we can have doubt, but we don't have to doubt everything. Or should I doubt that, right? You doubt everything. Well, should I doubt what you just said? <laughs> you know, should, is that true? I should doubt what you just said? Um, you're playing word games with me? Well, is that a word game? You know, these are the simple things. And, and I think sometimes when we hear this stuff, we start, some of us might give oh, I just don't know if I could come up with that. Christy will say that to me a lot, you know. Well, you're just better with words than I am. 
And that's why I like going over this some more. And, and I'll say, you should take people, take your kids, take your spouse, try some of these, role play some of these things. So when you come across one of these people, you're able to do it quickly and not even think about it. Well, God doesn't exist. Oh, is that true that God does not exist? You know? Um, and we talked about faith not being a good argument. Go ahead. You, you've got something there. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, being, being bold for Christ really means sometimes having a backbone, you know, and, and, and uh, standing for the truth, regardless if you're not going to, you know, if you're, you know, you're the only one against the current. You know, you've got to be willing to take a stance. And, you know, and that really comes to conviction is what the Word of God has done for you and what it means to you. Because when you have those two, you know, it's nothing that can stop you as far as how far you're willing to go uh, to preach the gospel and to yeah. stand for the truth. Yeah, exactly. Truth, is, you can leave that on. It's, it's fine. Uh, we have plenty of batteries now. should have put new batteries in earlier. Um, if somebody was to say, and this is a good one, you can't, you're a Christian, and all you're trying to do is force your beliefs. You shouldn't go around forcing your beliefs on me. What would be a response to that? Really quick, easy response. Remember, turn it back on its head. They accused you of this, you come back. Why? Why, do you, why are you forcing your opinion on me? Why are you telling me I shouldn't be able to speak? Why are you telling me? What did you just do? That's the law of non-contradiction. You turned it right back back around them. You can't say that. Why can't I say that? Because that's judgmental. Well, you're being judgmental because you're judging me saying that I can't say that. People, it will confuse them, but when they finally get it, they'll start realizing this doesn't make any sense. Tolerance, tolerance is allowing somebody to believe something, right? Allowing somebody to do something even if it's wrong. That's tolerance, okay? And as Christians... We're tolerant because we allow it. That doesn't mean that we agree with it and that we, we, uh, we can choose to not do it ourselves, right? We can choose not to celebrate sin. And we have a lot of florists and bakers and camera people and all that that are having to choose between my job and Lauren Daigle. She didn't even, she's, on, she's the top three 200 on the 200 billboard on the secular music She's top three right now. Instead of looking at some of these other people who have, ha, who have had to say, no, I'm not going to do that, some of them are maybe facing jail time. And the, there's some in, the, in the, some of the northern states. Uh, a woman in, in Washington state is, or may lose her home, 70-something years old, may lose her home because she said, no, I can't make flowers for, you know, uh, this this." Uh, celebration that you're having because I don't agree with it. And so she's being forced. So, um, but anyway, when we come back, when we're talking about tolerance and everything, don't shy back. When somebody says, judge not lest you be not judged, remember, in the same manner that you judged, you'll be judged. That's what he's saying. Remember what he said last week? It's not saying don't let somebody know that something's wrong. You just correct what's already wrong in your life before you go to them. You don't go out and be living a life of sin and then go to somebody else and say, Elise, you know, you got this problem. When that problem's small compared to even what you're doing. But when people tell us, 
uh, when they say that, that you can't force your belief on people, then say, well, why are you forcing what you believe on me? Why are you forcing that belief? That your belief is that I shouldn't have an opportunity to tell you what I believe. Uh, so we, thou shalt not judge. Uh, it's been replaced. We hear a lot, for God so loved the world, and we're not, we're not supposed to judge. But like I said, remember, he's not telling us not to judge. Um, and when we come, and it comes to tolerance, it varies from person to per person. But remember that if somebody's being intolerant of you and they're trying to demand tolerance of you, it's easy. Why are you being intolerant of me? If you want tolerance, if everybody should be tolerant, you're being intolerant of my belief, right? Law of non-contradiction, turn it up, real easy. Whatever they're saying to you, just flip it back on them. You can almost say, it, it, to dumb it down even worse, <laughs> it, you know, your kids, right? Your, your kids, I'm right, uh-uh, I'm right, uh-uh, I'm right, uh-uh, I'm right. Well, who's right? Now you've got to sit down and find out who's right. You can't just, you can't just say I'm right and be right. You've got you to find those things. So that's really what you're doing, but you're just using more, maybe a few more words in it. When a person says, no, the way I believe is right, you go, well, how do you know that it's right? You know, science is true. Well, is that scientifically true? All right. Um, should we be agnostic about agnosticism? And, and we dealt with this last week. You know, Immanuel Kant violates the law of non-tradition because his own premise is no one can know the real world. You just can't know it. You can't, remember, can't know it. Um, so... Truth is discovered using self-evident laws of logic. Like I was talking about with Sachs, he is an engineer. And logic says, you can't build it this way. And then I come in and I say, no, you can do it this way. Did you ever watch the show, um, the old Tim Allen show, Home Improvement? Oh, yeah. You know, and one of the things about Tim Allen in that show was... He would always be arguing with his sidekick, you know, with his assistant. His assistant would be like, Tim, you can't do that. Oh, well, that, what does this say? It was like, you know, um, that doesn't even have to be said. Everybody knows that. And then he would go and do what he's not supposed to do, right? Well, electricity's supposed to be off. Well, that goes without being said. And then he would go mess with something and he would shock himself because he didn't make sure the electricity was off. And so when we, um, uh, when we look, look at this, this stuff, is we got to say that's what, what uh, his sidekick was saying, his partner was saying, that's logic. But instead, he's over here saying, I don't want to use logic. I just want to say whatever goes, goes. Whatever I want to believe, I want to believe. Um, so does God exist? Yes. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes. Was the Apostle Paul executed in Rome? Yes. When you're looking through the Bible and you're discussing this with an agnostic or, or an atheist, remember, all these things are true. It has, not been, it has not been found untrue. Everything they find continues to, to make the Bible even more believable to even the, the, the worst skeptics. Um, now, and, and always remember, in the court cases, people go, uh, well, the person is guilty if it's beyond a doubt. 
you know, a person is found guilty beyond a doubt, they're found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Is it, reasonable, is it a reasonable doubt? And so when we're talking about the Bible, can there be doubt? Can you have doubt in your mind? Can you, like he said, like, like his one friend said, he gets up in the morning and he doubts he's a Christian until he has his first cup of coffee, right? You know, <laughs> so, so can you have doubt? Yes, you can have doubt because that's who we are. We're, we're thinkers and, and we're human beings. And so can we have a doubt? Yes, we can have a doubt. But what we do is we go back to the truth and, and answer, is this true? We need to, to say, okay, if the Bible's true, if I, can, if I can prove to you the Bible's true, how should that impact a person's life? And I know that, that Will has talked a lot about this, you know, how it has impacted his life. How should it impact a person's life? Uh, should it bring meaning and purpose to your life? You know? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if you take on a job, something should change, right? You should be going to work. You should be doing certain things at that job. You know, you get paid. Things so the same thing, if the Bible's true, it's got to impact a person's life whether they believe in the Lord and put their faith and trust in Him or not. It still impacts their life in some way. Um, if the Bible's not true, then it's just irrelevant. There's no reason to even talk about it, right? Um, God wouldn't exist. Your life would be meaningless, and there wouldn't be any purpose for us to be Christians at all. Matter of fact, the, the disciples, I mean, there would have been no purpose for them to die if it was not true. And a lot of people will say, well, this was just made up. This was just a religious book made up by religious people. The problem is it was, um, oh, uh, now my mind went blank. One of the guys that was part of, of, of um, the Watergate scandal, and he came out, strong Christian. I'll remember his name here in a second. I know it. But anyway, he said, here's the deal. He says, you've got all these apostles who all their stories remain the same for an extended period of time, for 30 years, and they're dying, but their stories remain the same. And he said, the few of them that, that got in trouble with the Watergate scandal and went to prison, someone went to prison, he says, we couldn't keep our story straight for two weeks. Our story was found out in two. We couldn't keep our story straight for two weeks, much less 20 and 30 years. So when people want to say it's made by religious people, why? who could keep their story together? And then on top of that, you're choosing to die. Not, not now, people say, well, ISIS chooses to die and Muslims choose to die. No, Muslims choose to fight for their religion, and in that, they die or they kill people, which gets them killed. Christians don't do that. Christians choose to turn the other cheek. Christians choose to be, like Peter, choose to be crucified on the cross. You had uh, Stephen who chose to be stoned to death. So they had choices there, and they could have turned around. Uh, you know, as, a, as Peter did on the night that Jesus was crucified, right, three times. But after that, when he got committed, and he saw this <laughs> Jesus is who he said he was, he never turned back after that. Matter of fact, upon this rock, the Lord said, I'll build my church. Amen. So we're truth seekers. We want to we seek out truth. And so in the law of non-contradiction, if you'll remember this one thing, truth. The, the whole thing about non-contradiction is truth. Is it true? Is what you say true for you and true for everybody else at all times and all places? Right now, it's whatever it is. 
35, 40 degrees outside. No matter where in the world, it's still true that right outside it's 40 degrees or whatever it is. No matter where in the world that you are, it is true for everybody at all times and all places that the sun has went on the other side of the earth right now. All right? And so that's truth, and, and that's what we, we want to be truth seekers and, um, and, and make sure that the truth is said. Have you ever in, in your past that you could, if you don't feel like saying anything, that's fine. Just, but have you ever hated or suppressed the truth in order to get what you wanted? Can you think of a time where suppress is, Chloe, suppress is where you hold it down. This is true, but I'm going to hold the truth down. Have you ever done, have you ever, have you ever done that in your life? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, of course we could think of all kinds of kids things, right, you know. Uh, no, I didn't get, I didn't get into the candy. I remember, was it Harmony who was, she was young and, no, I haven't gotten into the candy. There's all these candy wrappers that's just behind the couch, you know, just everywhere. Oh, we had a, we, we got a big mouse, right? Mickey Mouse is getting in the candy, I guess, you know, suppressing the truth because it's going to have an effect. Uh, you know, we can, uh, it, it's difficult because if you ever get pulled over, which I have before. What do you want to say to the officer, right? You want to say, no, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Now, maybe you weren't. In my situation, you know, I was. But, you know, maybe. But you want to say, no, no, no. Oh, I, I didn't know how fast I was going. You know. Because <laughs> you don't want to get a ticket. Oh, I've got them. I'm, I'm, I'm honest, but I've still got them. I don't get many of them, but I don't get many of them. It had been, been 15 years since the last time I got one, and then I was Ubering one night and was speeding. Got a bad ticket. I was honest. He says, do you know how fast, do you know, do you know you were speeding and how fast you were going and why were you going fast? I said, sir, I just don't have an excuse. What are you doing? I'm Uber and I'm going to pick somebody up. He's like, well, that's, you know, you shouldn't be. I was like, yes, sir, I don't have an excuse. I could have made an excuse, you know. I could have tried to suppress it some way or another. I could have tried to talk myself out of it, but I'm not pretty, so that wouldn't have helped. So. Nowadays, you never know. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That is hilarious. So um, why does the truth about religion and morality, why does it uh, even matter? Think of, some, think, think of some reasons why it matters. Somebody give me an answer. Okay, the question again. Religion and morality. Why, why does it even matter? Why do we even need it? Because a lot of people tell you, we don't need religion. As a matter of fact, there's a push to, you know, rid religion from the United States, period, uh, everywhere. Uh, don't forget, grab a microphone, answer the, answer the question, but answer in the microphone. First of all, I think we have to define what is religion. Well, when we're talking about religion, we're talking about Christianity. Oh, that's a different that's thing. Different thing. <laughs> so so why, why, is, why does it matter? Morality. 
why does morality matter? And, and what is morality? Morality is, is right and wrong, right? So what we, what we say is right and wrong, and how do you couple morality and Christianity together? Well, I think morality is uh, it's somehow on the, on the foundations. It's uh, part of the biblical and uh, God's purpose and revelation for your life. So uh, it actually links itself to the Christianity. Uh, the problem is, well, that is why I wanted to define what was religion, what is Christianity, what's actually being a, a Christ follower, right. and what's just claimed to be one. And that's pretty much the thing that uh, makes it go apart. So that's the question. Can you have morality without Christianity? Without the Bible, can you have morality? Partially, probably. Because you can be uh, moral without being Christian, but you cannot be Christian being unmoral. So here's the thing. But the truth is, you cannot have morality without the Bible. And here's why. The Bible is the manual to tell you what is moral and what is immoral. Without the Bible, you get to choose what is moral or what is immoral. And somebody say, somebody say, oh no, well, well, murder is wrong. How do you know murder is wrong? Well, because it is. It comes out of the Bible. Murder, murder in Islam is not wrong if you do it for whatever reason they say it is. So therefore, their morality comes from the Koran, right? Which is pretty much a copy from the Bible. You know? So you've, you've got, you, you've got uh, people who say, well, I can decide what is right and wrong. And that's why abortion is okay in the United States of America. Because instead of looking and saying, is murder murder? We say, no, well, it's not murder if, that child is inside the womb as opposed to outside the womb. It's not murder. So without the Bible, you make up your own morality. And that's why communism is so bad, right? Communism says there is no God, there is no Bible. You look at uh, the USSR and, and the things that went on and the millions and millions of people who were killed in the name of communism, citizens of the USSR. And why? Because there was no guidebook to what morality... Morality was what the government told them morality was. Mor the government decided what was right and wrong, not, not another book. That's why we've had the Ten Commandments in the United States. That's why we've had them prominent in our, in, in our courtrooms and in uh, the Capitol stuff. Because why? Because that's the guide to what is right and what is wrong. So you have to have the Bible, and you can't, uh, you know, Christianity and the Bible together... You, that's where you get your truth from, and that's where morality is, is truth, what is true. Um, contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. We can believe something that's different, but we cannot, we cannot believe something that's not true. You know, what is, what is it? Well, that's true for you, but not for me? No, that, that can't happen. You know, it's, and one of the biggest things you'll hear, that's great, Will, that's great that you, that you want to live your life that way, and, 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 you know, that's great that you want to follow the Bible. That's true for you. That's good, Will. That, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, right? You know, I'm not going to, 
I'm not, I'm not going to stir the water because, you know, that's true for you. But for me, it's not true. And they may not say it's true for you, but not for me, but they would say it in a different way. Well, that's okay for you. It's just not okay for me. What are they saying? It's true for you, but it's not true for me. So, no, it's either true for one of you or not true for the, and it's not true for the other or vice versa. So <clears throat> you can't have contrary truths. Truth is truth is truth. You can't contradict that. You can believe everything is true, but everything can't be true. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. sure, that's true, that's true. No, it isn't, uh, because if, if something else is true, that goes against that. Um, two people to ask, uh, two, two questions to ask people who love to argue against Christianity. If I ask you a serious question, will you give me an honest answer? If I ask you a serious question, will you give me an honest answer? See, the problem is, is people want to give you their belief, but you're not asking for their belief. You're asking for an honest answer. You're asking for a truthful answer. Answer. And then, here is the coolest question. I think it's really neat. If Christianity were true, all right, ask the person. If Christianity were true, because there can be contrary truth, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? That'll make somebody think. If Christianity were true, meaning the Bible, what the Bible says is true, would you become a Christian? Maybe you've never thought of that before. It's a great question. It is, it is a question that will stop people in their tracks. Because if they start to argue with you about it, say, no, I'm not asking you to argue if it is or isn't. I'm asking you a question. If Christianity is true, would you become a Christian? And a lot of times you'll find with people that the answer is no. So what does that mean? They are making, like we talked about earlier in Romans chapter 1, they are making things up to fit what they want in their lifestyle. So if, it's not about that they don't, it's not about if Christianity is true or not to them, it's just they don't want the truth of Christianity. They just want their own truth. So that's a great question to ask. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Would you become a Christian? Uh, so if they hesitate at all on question number two, it's the, their, their resistance to Christianity is not intellectual. You know, well, science can't prove it, this can't prove it. No, because you didn't ask if, if anything can be proven. You just asked, if it's true, would you do it? Instead, you're, you're going to find out really quickly what's going on in their life. All right, so that is the... the the rundown of our first lesson. Anybody want to add anything to that before we get into, into our session two? Session number two. Before we move on. Chloe, did you have something you want to say earlier? Do you have anything you want to say? No? Okay. I know you raised your hand, but I think he answered your question. I have two questions. I heard your question you said that you said someone asked Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so, we're going to listen to Frank Turk again here for the next 30 minutes or so. And what we're dealing with is, does God exist? And uh, this is a big thing that people say, well, you can't prove God exists, God doesn't exist, so on and so forth. So I think you're going to love this part of it. Um, so let's, let's jump right on in, and hopefully this will start off right where I want it to. You can't get away from objective truth. It's out there. The question we're going to look at now, is it objectively true that God exists? Okay. And, th and that's going to get us into the next lesson. 
And that's going to be lesson two, does God exist? And this is called in the beginning. All right. So, so far, we've pointed out that, yes, truth does exist. And now we're going to look at the question, does God exist? It is true out there that there's truth. So what we've done, if, 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 if our reasoning is good to this point, the Bible could be true. Well, Richard Dawkins' book could be true. But what's false? Relativism and postmodernism. They're false. They, they don't even meet their own standard. Now we're going to see whether the Bible's right about God or Richard Dawkins is right about God. And when we talk about God, we've got to define our terms. What do we mean by God? We're going to talk about a theistic God. What's a theistic God? A theistic God is a God who's beyond the world, who created the world and sustains the world. A theistic God is sort of like a painter is to a painting. Michelangelo paints the painting. His attributes are expressed in the painting, but Michelangelo is not the painting. The worldview that believes God is the painting is called pantheism. We'll get into that in a minute. By the way, what does it mean when, in fact, Pastor Duran was here, uh, when I was here last night, he said, you're made in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? Does that mean you look like God? No, you don't look like God. Why? Because God is an immaterial being. It means that you're a person like God, that you have a mind, emotion, and a will. In other words, his attributes are in you. He's giving you attributes like his. You have intellect, you have emotion, and you have a will. You're a moral being. You can make choices like God can. You can think, you can feel, you can want, just like God. You're made in his image. And if God exists, his attributes are expressed in the universe, but he's not the universe. And he's ex- his attributes are expressed in you, but he's not you. In fact, here's how you can... You can put most major world religions into one of these three religious worldviews. You see the hands under the world on the left? That's called theism. God made all. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are theistic. In other words, there's a being distinct from the universe who created the universe and sustains it to this day. You see the next one with the hand in the world? That's called pantheism. God is all. God is you. God is the grass. God is the trees. God is all things. That's pantheism. You know pantheism. Use the false loop. The whole Star Wars series is pantheistic. There's not a a God distinct from the universe. God is the universe. And the last major religious worldview, you don't see a hand at all. You just see a world, is atheism. No God at all. Religious humanists would be considered atheists. Now, I'm here to say, by the way, that if you define religion as someone's explanation of ultimate reality, everybody's religious. Richard Dawkins is religious. He's got his ideas of how we got here and where we're going. Also, by the way, everybody's a fundamentalist. I thought just Christians and Muslims. No, everyone's a fundamentalist. Oh, we have different fundamentals. Richard Dawkins has fundamentals. We got here through some cosmic accident, and he thinks you ought to treat him in a certain way. You know, he says there is no objective morality in his book here, but then he writes his own Ten Commandments. Anyone see anything inconsistent about that? (laughs) Right? He has fundamentals he believes in. And by the way, also, everybody has faith. Now, I'm using faith in the sense Richard Dawkins would use it, not in the sense the Bible uses it. Dawkins says, look, if you don't have evidence, you've got faith. In other words, it's believing something in spite of the evidence, even sometimes against the evidence. Well, if that's the definition of faith he's using, then I actually think you've got to have a lot more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. Why? Because there's a lot of evidence for Christianity, and we're about to go through it. 
So therefore, you just need a little bit of faith to believe it. But I think there may be just a couple of things on the side of the atheistic ledger, perhaps, but not a lot of evidence. And therefore, you need a lot more faith to be an atheist. That's why we call the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Now, what is the evidence that God exists? There are three great arguments for the existence of a theistic God that we go through in the book. There's more than this, but these are the main three. And from these three arguments, we're going to see, and when I say argument, I don't mean like you're mad at somebody. I say these are formal ways of providing evidence, okay? From these three arguments, we're going to see that there is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator out there. We're not even going to open the Bible to do this. We're just going to look at two scientific arguments and one philosophical argument. Here they are. The first argument is the argument from the beginning of the universe known as the cosmological argument. Cosmological comes from the Greek word cosmos, which means world or universe. It says if the universe had a beginning, it must have had a beginner. The second argument is the argument from design known as the teleological argument. Telos meaning design or purpose. It says if there's design in the universe and design in life like you, then there must be a designer. Now, these two arguments are scientific in nature. You can get evidence for these arguments by either looking through a telescope or looking into a microscope, which we will do. The third argument, however, is not scientific at all. It's more philosophical in nature, yet it's the argument we've known since we were very small children. And it's the argument from morality known as the moral argument. And it says if there's one thing morally wrong out there, like it's wrong to torture babies for fun, or it's wrong to murder six million Jews in a holocaust, then there has to be a God. Why? Because if there is no God, if there is no standard beyond humanity, then that's just your opinion against Hitler's opinion. I mean, if there's nobody out there but it's just us, then who's to say you're right and Hitler's wrong? There's no objective morality. It's just in us, the subject. But we all intuitively understand there is an objective morality, and that objective morality we'll see when we come back next week is actually God's very nature. So these are the three main arguments. We're going to start here at the cosmological argument, and this is the argument that many say points to the big... Now, some people are going, uh, Frank, you know, we're Christians, and uh, we don't believe in the Big Bang. You guys don't believe in the Big Bang? I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. The evidence for the Big Bang is indeed quite good. You even have atheistic scientists admitting this, like Stephen Hawking, who says almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Now, Hawking tries to come up with another explanation for how the universe could come into existence out of nothing without God. It's not a good one, but he admits that space, time, and matter had a beginning out of nothing. Another cosmologist, Alexander Vilenkin, put it this way. With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is now no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Now, a cosmologist is somebody who, dis- who, who uh, investigates the origin of the universe. Now, there's two interesting words in this quote. The first word is the word proof. Very unusual for scientists to use the word proof. Usually they say the evidence points to, the evidence suggests... When they say proof, they think the evidence is quite strong. The second interesting word is the word problem. Why is there a problem that there's a cosmic beginning? Because it gets too close to the G word. And we don't want to go there. In fact, Einstein himself, in order to avoid a beginning to the universe and therefore God, did what a third grader wouldn't do in math. 
He did something a third grader wouldn't do to avoid the implication that there was a beginning. We're going to see that here in just a minute because Einstein's theory of general relativity is one of the lines of evidence that the universe had a beginning. Now, what is having these scientists and many others saying the universe had a beginning? What scientific evidence is out there? It's in an acronym in Chapter 3 of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and the acronym is SURGE, S-U-R-G-E. Each one of these letters stands for a different line of scientific evidence that the universe had a beginning. I'm just going to list them now, and we're going to go through them very quickly, very briefly. All the details are in the book. The S stands for the second law of thermodynamics. The U stands for the fact that the universe is expanding. The R stands for the radiation afterglow. That's the remnant heat from the initial Big Bang explosion. The G stands for the great galaxy seeds. We'll discuss that when we get there. And E stands for Einstein's theory of general relativity. These five lines of scientific evidence are even having atheistic scientists going, yep, the universe had a beginning. Now, let's go through these very quickly. The S stands for the second law of thermodynamics, which says the universe is running down. It's running out of usable energy. As time goes on, the amount of energy in the universe is running down. You say, so what? How does this show the universe had a beginning? Well, let's look at the universe as if it were a dying flashlight. Suppose I were to take a flashlight right now and turn it on, put it on this table. We were to leave and come back tomorrow. What would be the strength of the beam coming out of the flashlight tomorrow? Less or it might even be dead, right? Why? Because there's only so much juice in those batteries. So the longer the flashlight's on, the less power it's going to have, right? Well, suppose I turned the flashlight on an infinitely long time ago. Would there be any light coming out of it now? No, it'd be completely dead. Same thing's true about the universe. If the universe was infinitely old, that sun would have burned up a long time ago. But it's still burning. Therefore, the universe must have had a beginning. This is indisputable, really. Uh, by the way, this is also called the law of entropy, that things go to disorder rather than order. The law of entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics, is why you have to put gas in your car, because you run out of gas. It's why things wear out. It's why you've got to put tires on your car. It's why you have to uh, uh, you know, paint the building and maintain your house, because things wear out. The second law of thermodynamics even affects us personally. It affects us when we get older. That's when we get dresser disease. That's when our chest falls into our drawers. Okay. In fact, Paul even talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says the creation is in bondage to decay. That's the second law of thermodynamics. But then we learn in the last chapters of Revelation that a new heavens and new earth are created. And the second law of thermodynamics won't affect us anymore. In fact, you can look at it this way. Nature will take a building and turn it into a pile of bricks, but nature will never take a pile of bricks and turn it into a building. That's the second law of thermodynamics. So if we're running out of order, if we're running out of energy, somebody must have put energy in there to begin with. Somebody must have put order there to begin with. Now, the U in surge stands for the fact that the universe is expanding. Does anyone know who that guy is right there? That's Edwin Hubble. Yes, he has a telescope named after him. Now, somehow back in the 30s, they thought it was cool to have your picture taken with a pipe. I don't know why, but they did. Anyway, back in 1929, Hubble was looking through this telescope at the Mount Wilson Observatory in Pasadena, California. And he noticed that all the galaxies out there are moving away from us because they had a red shift in the light. If the light was blue, it would have indicated the galaxies were moving in on us, but they're all moving away. So Hubble deduced something. He said, look, if all the galaxies are doing this, then yesterday they were here, and the day before that they were here, and the day before that they were here. You go all the way back to the beginning, the entire space-time continuum collapses back, not to the 
point of a basketball or even the pinhead, but all space, matter, and time collapsed back to nothing. So once there was nothing, and then the entire space-time continuum leapt into existence. So if time were reversed, the universe would collapse back to nothing. And you can see this now. You can see the expanding universe right now. This is empirical data that you can look at. Now, good scientific theories often predict future discoveries, and scientists thought, look, if the universe did explode into being, there should be some remnant heat left over from the initial explosion. In fact, they predicted this in 1948 which is when Sir Fred Hoyle, an atheist, said, what are you going to call this thing, the Big Bang, in a derisive way? Well, that derisive name actually stuck, and people started saying, yeah, it's the Big Bang Theory. But nobody bothered to look for this remnant heat until two scientists working at Bell Labs in Holmdel, New Jersey, discovered it by accident. It leads us to the DR, the radiation afterglow. That's Arno Penzias right there and Robert Wilson. They discovered, literally, the remnant heat from the initial Big Bang explosion. It's just a couple of degrees above absolute zero, but they found it. In fact, one agnostic astronomer put it this way. He said, those who still believe in the steady state theory, that's the theory that the universe was static and eternal, can no longer believe that. This has put the nail in the coffin of the last doubting Thomas that the universe had a beginning. This is literally the smoking gun to the Big Bang It's still out there. The heat is still out there. Now, what is radiation afterglow? Another way of looking at it. You ever watching TV at night with the lights out? You know, one of those old TVs, the tube TVs? What do you see when you turn the TV off? You see a glow that's coming off the TV. That's remnant heat. That's radiation afterglow. Well, there's still a glow coming off the universe, and these gentlemen discovered it, and they won Nobel Prizes for it in 1978. Now... As I mentioned, good scientific theories normally predict future discoveries. Well, scientists thought there should be very fine temperature variations in that radiation afterglow that allowed the galaxies to form in the early universe. They needed these temperature variations so matter could gravitate and form galaxies. But they had no way to figure out if those temperature variations were there uh, from Earth. They were going to have to put a satellite up in order to measure these variations. And so... That leads us to G, the great galaxy seeds. They designed a satellite that they were going to put up to measure these temperature variations. And they were going to put it up on the space shuttle in the 1980s. Unfortunately, the space shuttle Challenger exploded off the launching pad. And they had no way to get the the satellite up. So they redesigned the entire satellite. They made it half its original size and put it up on a French Titan rocket in 1989. For three years, it circled the Earth taking measurements. That's how long it took them to gather the data. Then finally, in 1992, they announced their results. And the satellite was called COBE for Cosmic Background Explorer. What they found were temperature variations that were down to one part in 100,000. The leader of the expedition, this man, George Smoot, who wrote a book on it called Wrinkles in Time said, we found the machining marks of the creator. He said, if you're religious, it's like looking at God. That was the headline in a Time Magazine edition, May 1992. If you're religious, it's like looking at God. What did they discover? They discovered such fine temperature variations that allowed the galaxies to form that if those temperature variations weren't there or any different, we wouldn't even be here. In other words, the Big Bang was not a chaotic explosion. The Big Bang was literally the creation event. It wasn't the explosion of an eternal pellet. 
It was literally the creation of space, time, and matter, and then the explosion was shepherded through stages and is currently being shepherded right now. In other words, somebody's holding the universe together right now. Now, what does this say about Darwinism? Nothing. But I always hear atheists saying, look, saying this, look, if evolution's true, if macroevolution is true, you don't need God. That's nonsense. Why? Even if macroevolution were true, you need a creator and a designer long before you ever get to life. You need a universe first, right? And a designed universe. So you need a creator and a designer from the split second the Big Bang began. Even if later evolution were to prove true, which it isn't, we'll get into it next week, you still need a creator and a designer from the very beginning. So this pointed out beyond any reasonable doubt that the cause was also an intelligent cause to the universe. Now the E leads us to Einstein. Einstein's theory of general relativity. And Einstein knew as early as 1916 that his theory of general relativity showed beyond any reasonable doubt that space, time, and matter had a beginning out of nothing. That space, time, and matter were co-relative. That they came into existence together. Once there was no space, once there was no matter, once there was no time, and then it all leapt into existence out of absolutely nothing. But you know what Einstein figured it out? On paper, he didn't like it. In fact, he called the results irritating. So you know what the great Einstein did to avoid an expanding universe, which his calculations were telling him? He wanted a static eternal universe. The great Einstein put a fudge factor into his equations called the cosmological constant. And that fudge factor kept the universe static and eternal. It was a a counterforce to gravity. He didn't want this. He wanted this. Now, in order to do this, the great Einstein divided by zero. Now, what are you told in third grade? Never divide by zero. You can go straight to hell for that. (laughs) Well, there were some mathematicians in the 1920s who were looking at Einstein's equations going, Al, you can't divide by zero. Your first equations were correct. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble is looking through his telescope. He sees the expanded universe. And he says, this is exactly what Einstein's general relativity equations predicted, his original one. So he called Einstein. He said, Al, or Dr. Einstein. He said, Dr. Einstein, what I am viewing through my telescope, you predicted in 1916. Why don't you come out to Mount Wilson here in California, and you can see the redshift for yourself. You can see what you predicted back in 1916. So in 1931, Einstein went out to Mount Wilson and looked through Hubble's telescope. In fact, who's that right behind him? That's Hubble. You see the pipe? (laughs) After Einstein saw the expanding universe... He said, I now see the necessity for a beginning. He said, all I'm interested now is to find the mind of God. The rest are details. Now, Einstein was not a Christian. He denied being an atheist. He also denied being a pantheist. So nobody really knows what Einstein personally believed. But his theory of general relativity has been proven accurate to more than five decimal points. I mean, you can almost every month see an article that confirms general relativity. If general relativity is true, space, time, and matter had a beginning out of nothing. In fact, it's so sure that if Einstein were here today and you were to say, Al, I don't think the universe had a beginning, you know what he'd probably do? He'd probably do this. (laughs) Because it did. Now, all this evidence led this man, Robert Jastrow, an agnostic astronomer, 
to write a book in 1978 called God and the Astronomers. Now, Jastrow, on page one of the book, said, I'm an agnostic on religious matters. In other words, I don't know whether God exists or not. And Jastrow, by the way, sat in the same chair Edwin Hubble sat in until Jastrow died just about five years ago. He was at the Mount Wilson Observatory as the main individual at that observatory, the main scientist. Anyway, he said, I don't know whether God exists or not, but then after going through this, some of this surge evidence that had been discovered at that point, here's what Jastrow says on page 14. He says, the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential element in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis is the same. Then he went on in an interview to say this. And oh, by the way, that's an actual picture from the Hubble Space Telescope. That's Saturn in infrared. That's not a painting. Here's what Jastrow said in an interview. He said, astronomers now found that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this has happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. Wait, 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 wait. Why would an agnostic have, have say that it's scientifically proven that supernatural forces are at work. Why couldn't nature have created the universe? Because there was no nature. Nature itself was created. Nature was the effect. It can't be the cause. Now, it wasn't just Jastro who said these things. All of these gentlemen are Nobel Prize winners in physics. We've already seen them. They helped discover the surge evidence. Arno Penzias. The best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. His colleague, Robert Wilson, who believed in the steady state theory that the universe was static and eternal until he helped discover the radiation afterglow, put it this way. He said, certainly there was something that set it all off. I can't think of a better theory of the origin of the universe to match Genesis. George Smoot, the guy who said, if you're religious, it's like looking at God. He helped discover the great galaxy seeds, and for many years he taught at UCAL berserkly. Put it this way. <laughs> he said, there is no doubt that a parallel exists between the Big Bang as an event and the Christian notion of creation from nothing. Now, there's one other line of evidence I haven't discussed yet that the universe had a beginning. We've just been going through the scientific evidence. Let me give you a philosophical line of evidence that the universe had a beginning. Some Okay, well, we got about another 20 minutes, so we'll take that up on the next, next time because...